You're listening to the Turn Again Ministries podcast with evangelist Aaron Pratt. Turn Again Ministries is based out of Fellowship Baptist Church in Clark Lake, Michigan, and is dedicated to bringing America back to its godly heritage. Let's prepare our hearts as evangelist Aaron Pratt brings forth God's word to us today. Cannot wait to see my Jesus. I uh, know that there are many people in the Gear family that are missing. Uh, Brother Gear, I know, I'm sure that his son right now is mourning, but um, Mr. Gear is not mourning. He got to see his Savior today. Praise the Lord. You can pray for them, pray for the arrangements of the funeral, pray for peace in the family, and pray um, for the funeral. That If there's one thing I knew, I didn't know uh, Mr. Gear, but I knew that uh, from talking to Larry, that he was, he was in a nursing home, but he was a man that never, never quit. He was still putting together messages and preaching them in the nursing home. And just looking for enough strength each and every day to sit in front of his computer and put together messages to preach to um, the others in the nursing home. I think I'm just a tad bit too loud, folks. Um, I hear echo. Do you guys hear echo? Uh, Psalm 139, I need you to turn to two different places. Psalm 139 is where I will get to at about halfway through the message. I have a long introduction this evening. Um, Then after you get there, I want you to turn to Genesis, and this is where we will conclude our message this evening. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 16. Once you get your finger in Genesis chapter 16, then you can just let your pages rest on Psalm number 139. I want to speak to you, preach to you this evening on the subject of the omniscience of God and the wisdom of God. I have, over the course of over a year now, I have spoken to you guys about some attributes of God some ways in which we try our best, and as much as God has revealed to us through his scripture, uh, who God is, his character, his attributes. We are in a state in our day and age in our churches where it is very obvious by the conduct of our lives that we do not know who God is as he's revealed to us in the scripture. In fact, this is nothing new. There's Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. This is the same thing that has existed in the cycle of human history. Hosea said in Hosea 4.6, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge. Rejected knowledge. That is, when you hear something about God or a command about God that doesn't quite fit with your thinking at the present moment, you make excuses and push that away. Because thou hast rejected God, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. The knowledge of God. Some things that you learned about when you were in Sunday school as a child is that God is all-knowing. We put that fancy word there, the omniscience of God, that God is all-knowing. And then the extension of the all-knowing God is that, is that of the wisdom of God. The Bible calls him the only wise God, the all-wise God. That is, seeing the end goal and devising the perfect means of arriving at that goal. God's goal in life is to make all things subservient to his will. And therefore, he uses his omniscience and his wisdom to bring about, through the perfect means, the perfect ends, which is to cause all knees to bow before him. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your scripture. We thank you for the for the things that you reveal to us. And I just, um, Lord, I pray that you would just get me out of the way this evening. Um, 
I pray that you would preach the hearts this evening, Lord. Lord, you know that me speaking words is vain, Lord. It's, it's nothing if it's not spiritual. And Lord, so that we're going to just trust that as we open your word, that it will not return void. I pray that you would open hearts this evening, Lord. Lord, there are so many different hearts here this evening with different needs in different places, and I just pray that you would speak to these hearts. I pray that you would, through your work of conviction, through your Holy Spirit, convict who needs convicting and courage, who needs encouragement, Lord. I pray that you would do your work. And Lord, if there is a soul here that does not know you, that has no knowledge of you and is on their way to hell right now as they sit in their chair, I pray that you would make that known to them this evening and that today would be their day of salvation. We pray for these things in your name. Amen. It is very evident as we take an examination of the state of many of our churches in this day and age, and many of the people even sitting in our fundamental Baptist churches, that there is a low view of God. Again, this is something we, we know that in the last days that uh, men shall wax worse and worse, and that is even existent in the churches. But this is something that has always existed, a, a, a sense in which there are certain sects in society that always had a low view of God. And certain ways in which the people who follow God had ways of uh, times of falling away and having a lower view of God. This is not done purposefully. We don't set out and say, I'm going to have a low view of God. Nobody ever does that. It's done, though, by our lack of knowledge of who God actually is. And the tragic thing about having a lack of knowledge of who God is is that we have Bibles sitting on our laps that tell us exactly who God is. Back in the Apostle Paul's day, they didn't have Bibles that they could carry around. Back in the days when this book was translated, they didn't have Bibles to carry around. They didn't have Bibles that they could open every morning and find out a little bit about who God is. They didn't have Bibles that they could sit and memorize and meditate on. The only way that they could read a Bible was to go to church and find Bibles there. We live in a day and age where we have more at our fingertips than any generation has ever had. Yet it seems that we are so incredibly ignorant of who God is. The reason that this is so very important of knowing who God is is that the picture, the image that you have of God in your heart will, will make an outproduction, will make a production of your life. There will be fruit produced of who you believe God is. It is at the very root of hundreds of ills in the lives of Christians, this distorted view of who God is. The Bible says, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. And the truth is, is that you can judge someone what someone really thinks about God based on how they live, but let's just make this personal. Let's stop pointing our finger and looking at the other person across the aisle and the other person in the other churches that may be a little bit more liberal than us. Let's make this more personal. You can judge what you think, what you really believe about God, who he is, his omniscience, his wisdom, based not on what you say, not on your ability to define the omniscience of God, and not on your ability to quote verses about the wisdom of God, but on your actions in an everyday life. Whether or not you really take counsel in the wisdom of God or seek it from self-help books and your peers. We tend, by a secret law of the soul, to move toward our mental image of God. Who you think God is in your heart is what you will move towards. We've brought God down to our level. We've tried to make him accessible to mankind and in so doing destroyed who he actually is and therefore we have propped up a false god and idol. We call him Jehovah God, but because we have not given him the characteristics and the attributes of Jehovah God, he's not actually who we say he is. We've propped up a false god and idol. Psalm 50, verse 21, These things hast thou done, and I kept silence. Thou thoughtest that I was 
altogether such an one as thyself? God says, you think I'm like you? You read in this scripture and you're trying to judge who I am based upon the lens of humanity and the lens of sinfulness? You think I'm such a one as yourself? I will reprove thee, God says, and set them in order before thine eyes. We've interpreted who God is based upon our clouded lenses of experience and our lives. We want to make God work for us on our timetable and in our conditions when we're ready for him. We want to fit him into our life's plan instead of getting into his plan for our life. We want God as a, we use God as a convenience store. instead of getting on board with this plan. There's something about God that just doesn't make sense to us, something that we see in life that just doesn't make sense to us and how it lines up with the character of who we learn about, of who God is. If there's something that we read in the Bible that doesn't make sense to us, we try to explain it away instead of just believing it. We ask questions like, how could a good and loving God allow bad things to happen to good people? It's a fair question. Many of us have asked that question, but it is an indication that you don't know God. God is good. God is loving. It is mankind who is evil. Mankind is not good. The reason you take Bible passages out of context like judge not lest you be judged is because you do not know God. The reason when you hear the word holy and when you hear holiness preached from the prophet, you think that keeping, some of you think that keeping standards will make you holy. It's because you don't know who God is as a holy God. Some of you think that the reason you think that keeping standards, some of you think that those who keep standards and those who preach standards and those who preach that you ought to have standards in your life because God is a holy God, some of you think that that is a life of a Pharisee and a holier-than-thou attitude, and you on the other end of the spectrum also don't know God as a holy God. Standards do not make us holy. Holiness is something that begins in the heart, where we set our hearts, our hearts aside for the Lord and set our hearts to the Lord. And then we therefore, as God reveals them to us, we make standards in our lives to keep ourselves pure and clean and unspotted from the world. God is a holy God. It's not something that we should shy away from. It's not something when we see others who have standards that are different from us, we should then point our fingers and say that they're, they're holier, they're that holier-than-thou crowd. And it's not something if you're on the other end of the spectrum and you look at people who don't have the same standards as you, you look at them as being unclean and filthy. You don't know the holiness of God, if that is your perspective. If there's something about God that doesn't make sense to us, we try to then explain it away. We try to contradict it. Thus are born hundreds of evils. We, lack, we have a lack of revival in our churches today because we simply do not know the God who we meet to worship. We don't know him. How does the knowledge of the holy the knowledge of God guide our moral principles. Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. We must think rightly about God. And the only way that we can think rightly about God is to simply allow the Bible to speak for itself. What do you think of when you think of God? It can be rightly concluded that what you think of when you think of God is determined more by your actions, your conduct in your daily life, not by your words. Not what you say you believe about God, 
but what you show that you believe about God. And I ask you as you sit there and we, we examine the omniscience of God and we examine the wisdom of God, that you ask God, you sit in your seats and you ask God, search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. That you ask God to reveal to you if you really know him as an omniscient and wise God. You see, there are two ways that we can approach God. We can approach him theologically. That is, we take the Bible and we learn about who God is. We interpret scripture and learn that God is omniscient. Scripture that God is all wise. And then there's experientially, not experimentally, not trying God out as an experiment, but living God out as the omniscient one, living God out as the all-wise one. The more that you know about God, the more you can go into living God experientially. This is the purpose of God, to know him for ourselves. Until we know God theologically, we cannot know him properly experientially. If we have a distorted view of what this book says about God, then we will not know him properly in our daily lives. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul doesn't say that I may know about him, but he says that I may know him. That your God that you see in this book, that he has revealed himself to you, this God that you see on the pages that are sitting right in front of you, they are there for you to learn about and then take those things and apply them to your life so that you live out the things that you learn. Not making God an experiment, but experiencing God. Not give God a try, but to let him be who he is inside of you. To let your light so shine before men. Therefore, when you learn about the holiness of God, and you learn that you have a God who is holy, and you learn what that means, then your heart is transformed inside of you and you respond to the command that says, be ye holy for I am holy. And when you learn that God is omnipotent, that he is all powerful, that he holds all the power within the palms of his hand and there's nothing too hard for God, when you know that and when you then believe that and transfer it to your heart, then when you're in the difficulties of life and when you're in the trials of life and when you're in the place of life where you're, where you're potentially doubting the promises of God, you can raise your hands up and say, God, you are all-powerful. You will always keep your promises. God, you are all-powerful. You can get me out of this trial, and I'm going to throw myself upon you to do so. Is he the Almighty in your life? Is he the Holy One in your life? The purpose of doctrine is to know God for ourselves. Until we know him theologically, we cannot know him experientially. If we have a false view of the holiness of God, we cannot ourselves be holy. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are either called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. You have, if you are a Christian this evening, you have the Holy Ghost inside of you. And the Holy Ghost has inside of you all of the attributes of our Heavenly Father. So the things that we talk about today, the Holy Spirit that is inside of you is the omniscient one. The Holy Ghost that is inside of you is the all-wise one. You have access to the omniscient one inside of you and the all-wise God inside of you. 
And God says, you just let that light inside of you shine. You just let that Holy Ghost have a way in your life so that then you can exemplify, then you can be conformed to the image of his Son. How can we know a God, though, who is incomprehensible? God is incomprehensible. How can we know something that is unknowable? Realize that you and I, we're finite. We cannot comprehend the infinite, infinite, no matter how smart we are, no matter how much time we sit drinking over coffee and thinking about it. We could never get to the end of that which is infinite. And all of God's characteristics, all of God's attributes are infinite. How could you and I, finite, simple, sinful beings, know the incomprehensible one? You see, God is not, on, uh, he's not like anything that you know. There's no image that you can make that would be any kind of similitude of God. The only image that exists that is any similitude of God is the image, is your soul, which was created in the image of God. And you can't see your soul. You can't smell your soul. You can't hear your soul. There's nothing that you can do to perceive your soul. You can't smell God. You can't see God. You can't hear God. There's nothing that you can do to know who God is in a physical way. He is not something that can be imagined and not something that can be related to in anything in creation. He is incomprehensible. Therefore, only God can give the grace in your spirit. How do we know this incomprehensible God? It is a spiritual work. A spiritual work. Only God can give the grace in your spirit to know the deep things of God, like the omniscience of God and the wisdom of God, not your intellect. You see, when we talk about knowing God theologically, that is taking this book and figuring out who God is based upon what the Bible says, it is not a matter of me sitting down and, and proceeding in some kind of intellectual reasoning. Because as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered, nor neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for, prepared, prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. When we talk about getting to know God, this is not an intellectual exercise. This is a spiritual exercise. It comes not by boldly standing on your feet and declaring that you think you're the smart person and you know something about God, but it's by lying humbly and prostrate before the all-wise and all-knowing God. You see, folks, there is a problem in our churches in this day and age where we have a head knowledge of God, an intellectual knowledge of God, a reasoning knowledge of God, but it's not hit our hearts, and it's evident that it's not hit our hearts based upon the way that we live and conduct our lives. We have proceeded to know God intellectually, not spiritually. You can say all day that you know what the word omniscience means, that God is all-knowing. But do you really know it in your spirits? Because if you know it in your spirits, it will produce fruit in your life. If your faith rests in that what the Holy Spirit reveals to you, then no argument can talk you out of your faith. If your knowledge of who God is is based upon reasoning and intellect, then somebody who is a better arguer than you and has a different set of facts than you will talk you out of your faith. Thus, we do not reason in order to believe. We reason because we have already believed. Do you believe God is omniscient? Do you believe God is all-wise? 
You know, the in Genesis chapter 3, we find the fall of Adam and Eve. And we find Satan entering in and saying, Yea, hath God said. And Eve relates to him. She says, she says to him, she adds to God's words. She says that God said, don't eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Eve said that we're not even supposed to touch or look on it. Now, that's a good standard. If God says don't eat it, it's, it's probably, you're probably safe if you never touch it and you never look at it. But the problem is, is that Eve took something that was a standard and equated it to God's word. The problem is, is that whenever Satan entered in to question Eve and where she stood with God theologically, she then entered, instead of just quoting God, she then entered in the battle of reasoning and intellect, and that is the devil's playground. You do that with any command of God. You do that with any, with any attribute of God, and you will fall. The devil is smarter than you. He can outthink you. He can prove different facts to you. And he will win that argument just like he did with Eve. You rest in faith. Yea, hath God said? No. God said, do not eat of the garden of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, evil in the garden. So when we get to the omniscience of God, we are reminded of a verse in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13 that says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. All things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. In other words, God knows. God knows all things. He cannot learn anything. There's never a moment in God's life where he says, oh, I didn't know that. We, we approach God sometimes in this day and age, in this modern day and age, as if, and I, I see it on all different sides of the aisle, as if, as if God's somehow surprised by things like social media. As if he's up there scratching his head and saying, I wonder what wisdom I can apply here. I wish I would have written something down about that in Proverbs. No, God is all wise and he's all knowing. He cannot learn anything. No knowledge is new to God. There are no surprises. Through one effortless hand, God knows all things instantly from eternity's past to eternity's future. Not a little at a time, but perfectly, he knows all things perfectly that could ever be known. Psalm 139, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts, thought afar off. You know he knows what you will think before you ever think it. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. There are ways that you have in your life that you think you can hide from other people, but the one whose viewpoint actually matters, you will never hide from him. He already knows. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. Whether shall I go from thy spirit or whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the othermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. Verse 13, for thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. You knew me when I was in my mom's womb. My substance, in verse 15, was not hid from thee. When I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect. And in the book of my, all my members were written 
which in continuance were fashioned when, yet, when as yet there was none of them. David is saying, before I ever existed, you knew exactly what I would look like and exactly who I would become. Google uses a mathematical formula to estimate that there have been over 130 million books published in all of modern history. 130 million books, and that number is going up daily. If the average reader read an average book of 300 pages, it would take him over 74,000 years to read 134 million books. And that average reader would never be able to remember all of that. He'd never be able to sift through what is fact and what is false. And he still would not have even scratched the surface of all of the knowledge that is, that is, that is encompassed in the entire universe. But God does. Not through 74,000 years, not through one year, not through one minute, not through one second, not through one nanosecond. He knows instantly from eternity's past to eternity's future, all that could ever be known. God knows these things effortlessly. He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. And when we see the wisdom of God, now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. Be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is an attribute of God that walks a little bit further up the pathway of omniscience. Relate this to man. You know some very smart people. You know some people that can that know this book. They can tell you all about it, but they're not wise. They don't foresee things down the path and apply it in the right way. There's a difference between knowing things and applying the things that you know in the right way. God is all wise. He takes all that He knows and applies it in the right way. He is all wise. It is applying His omniscience. It is the wisdom of God is God doing the best thing in the best way at the best time. Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. It is the wisdom of God is exercising sound judgment to avoid evils and attempting good. God's wisdom is perfect. His ends and means are both perfect. The end is to make all things subservient and glorifying to himself. If God is infinite, then he is infinitely wise. Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. If God were only a little wise, then he couldn't be God. If he were just really, really wise then he couldn't be wise. If he's just the wisest person, wisest thing that has ever existed, then that focuses on a point in time and he's not then infinitely wise. It creates the possibility, if he's just the wisest one who's ever existed, it creates the possibility that there could possibly be one day somebody who is wiser than him. Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. Be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord by wisdom hath founded the earth, and by understanding hath he established the heavens. If you look around creation, around the way in which you are curiously and wonderfully made, it exemplifies the wisdom of God. Thou hast set all the borders of the earth. Thou hast made summer and winter. When you look around and you see the creation of planet earth and all in which God has held it together, you see the wisdom of God. 
When you look at the church, the church exemplifies the wisdom of God to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. God is saying, listen, I want to show off my wisdom through this organization, the church. I want to show the principalities and the powers, the angels and the demons in heavenly places. I want to show them the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1.29, as 1 Corinthians chapter 1, read it later, talks about the foolishness of man and how God has set forth the foolishness of preaching to upset the wisdom of man. And he says that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. God is all wise. He wants to run your business. He wants to run your family. He wants to run your life, your home. The problem is that most of us say in our hearts that no one is going to tell me how to run my life. And we go on about our daily lives, conducting our business affairs, conducting our jobs, conducting our families in our own wisdom, not seeking the wisdom of God that we have access to. Do you realize that God not only is all wise, but he wants to be the source of all wisdom in your life? You have problems and you have questions in your life. You have issues in your family. You have issues in your job. You have is issues in your business. You have issues in so many different ways in your spiritual life. And God is saying, listen, listen, you're seeking the answers to these questions in all the wrong places. Seek me out. I am the all-wise God. Open this book and ask me and I will show thee mighty things which thou knowest not. He wants you to ask him. He's not bothered by it. He wants you to ask him. And indeed, the world professes to be wise, selling crafty self-help books and programs, but they all tainted with the sin-cursed mind. It's unusual that we see these self-help programs and these crafty ministry philosophies incorporated into many of our churches, taking surveys to see what, church, what the church people would want to try to bring more people in. God has made us a peculiar people. A peculiar people, zealous of good works. If we just stop trying to hide that in the world and let that just show out and beam out and let others see Jesus Christ in us, then we wouldn't need programs of man's philosophies. We wouldn't need marketing schemes. We wouldn't need to manipulate people to get them into church. They look at us and say, that's something different. I want that. Yeah, we can fill our pews through marketing schemes. We can throw our, fill our pews through man's philosophies. But, but we only give ourselves a false hope of success. Because if it's, if it's a man, if it's a work of man's flesh, it's not success. It is not something that's glorifying to God. God says, you let me work in your life. You let the Holy Spirit work in your life, and I will draw men to me through you. It's nothing new under the sun. God has a plan in this book for building his church. Just stick to it. Amen. Our day and age is no different than the apostles' day and age. Every man that we meet is a sinner on his way to hell in need of a Christ. It's no different today. Yeah, we have different gadgets. We have different things that we have to deal with. But there's nothing new under the sun. It's all something that's repackaged in a different format. When we let Jesus Christ shine through us, he will be the lighthouse that will bring men safe into the harbor. Most of us, though, we go through life praying a little, planning a little or planning a lot, jockeying for position, 
hoping but never being quite certain of anything, and always secretly afraid that we will miss the way. This is a tragic waste of truth and never gives rest to the heart. Because you have inside of you, you as a Christian with the Holy Ghost inside of you, the all-wise God inside of you, you don't have to go through life praying a little. You have to pray a lot. You don't have to go through life trying to plan every, and dot every T and cross, dot every T, cross every T and dot every I. You don't have to figure it all out. God already has it figured out. Just get on board with his plan. Our plans and our wisdom, though, they bring destruction to our lives. God wants to control your life. If you were in an airplane and turbulence hit, would you go to the cockpit and tell the pilot that you demand to fly the plane? That would be stupid. Now let me ask you something. Why is it that when the trials of your life hit, when the turbulence of your life hits, instead of just allowing God to take control and pilot your plane to safety, why do you want to take control? I submit to you that not allowing God to take control of your life is a whole lot more foolish than trying to fly and pilot a plane through turbulence. In Genesis chapter 16, I ask you to stick your finger there. We see this story of Hagar after Sarah makes a mistake, not believing that God is omnipotent. She didn't. Not believing that God was all wise, not believing that God would keep his promises, that she would bear a son. She gives Abram her handmaid. Her handmaid is Hagar. And Sarah said unto Abraham in verse 2, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. God said, I'm going to give you children. And then she's trying to figure out her life and figure out a plan for it to fulfill God's promises. Folks, do you realize that God doesn't need your help to keep his promises? Don't use your own wisdom and mess up what God's trying to do in your life. You just be patient and wait. We see in verse 7, And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to sure. Do you realize, Christian, that an omniscient, to an omniscient God, you can never be lost? You can never be all alone? You feel like you're in the wilderness of life sometimes and you don't know which way to turn and you feel like the wilderness will just go on and on forever and ever and there's nothing but loneliness and there's nothing but heartache and there's nothing but sorrow and you don't know the end of it and you feel like God is not very near. But Hagar proves in this passage that God was indeed so very near. Christian, God knows you. He knows exactly where you are. He knows the desert of your life. He knows the wilderness of your life. He knows exactly where you are and he's right there. He knows everything about you. He knows as if we were to read this passage, Hagar is in distress. She's afraid of Sarah and she leaves. And she's all alone. And she has no idea what's going to happen with her life. She's in a wilderness, all alone with a child. And God reveals to her that the possibilities of her life are far beyond what she comprehends in this moment. And she feels cast down and all alone, but the fact is, is that the possibilities of, of her life are way beyond her comprehension and her depth of understanding. Oh, that thou hadst hearkened to my commandments. Then had thy peace been as a river and thy righteousness as the ways of the sea. 
Christian, God has a plan for your life, and his plan for your life is to hearken to his commandments. And he's saying, listen, I have a will for your life. I have a plan set for your life. And if you just listen to me, if you just open your ears and obey me, oh, wow, you can have peace and joy. You can have so many blessings. He knows the possibilities of your life, what it could become. He knows how to make something out of nothing, a nothing like Hagar. And he knows how to make nothing out of something. Many men walk around deeming themselves to be something with pride puffed up. And God eventually makes nothing out of them. He knows he is the all-knowing God. Hagar ends this passage. She says, and she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. Thou God seest me. Those four words, depending upon your standing in this moment before God, are either very comforting or very scary. Thou, God, seest me. When I'm in the way of the wilderness and I'm in distress and I don't know which way to turn to, I have a God that sees me. Thou, God, seest me. Yet he knows my secret sins. He knows all of my sins. The sins that I can hide in, the heart, in my heart from those that are closest to me, God knows them. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. He knows your sins, Christian. Thou, God, seest me. He knows why you're not fully committed to him. Sitting in your seat right now, he knows in what ways you are resisting the calling of his Holy Ghost right now. You can't fool God. You can't reason away his conviction and he's convinced that you just don't know better. It's possible that someone here is not a Christian. You've never repented of your sin and asked Jesus Christ into your heart. You've never accepted Jesus Christ as the crucified one, the penalty, the price for your sins. You've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you from your sins in a, in a pain of misery and torment of hell for all eternity. He knows you may have made a false profession of faith. You may have told, told other people that you were saved. You may have even been baptized to make a public profession of it. You may have been in church for many years, but he knows whether or not you are true about that. And if you've never stepped into the glorious gospel, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, he knows exactly why. You can't fool him with your excuses. When you stand before the great white throne of judgment, you will have no excuse. He will say, you sat on this evening underneath the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the way in which you could escape hell, and you refused it, you rejected it. Be cast away from me for all eternity. Enter into hell and damnation. It's the choice you made. Christian, you will stand before God in judgment too. Thou, God, seest me. He knows why you're not fully committed to him. And when you stand, you can make your excuses to your spouse. You can make your excuses to your pastor. You can make your excuses to those who know you best. You can make your excuses and lie to your own heart about the reasons why you can't serve God. But God knows better. He knows they're just excuses. And you're just lying to yourself and lying to other people.
God knows your heartstrings. He pulls on them. He gives you the best chance to come back to him. He gives you the best chance to accept him as your, as, as your savior. By your own free will, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as I hen gathered her chicks under her wings, and ye would not. Why don't you put yourself in the keeping of the omniscient and all-wise God today? Why would you not? What better option do you have, Christian? What better option do you have than to tap into the resources of the all-wise God? What better option do you have than to submit yourself underneath the omniscient God? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. And know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Thou God seest me. Thou God seest me. Hagar says after this, have I also here looked after him that seest me? God sees you. He's omniscient. Have you looked after the God that sees you? Have you paid attention to the God that sees you? And paid attention to the sin that he convicts you of? And paid attention to the ways in which he can deliver you out of your discomfort, out of your loneliness? Thou God seest me. Thou God seest me. Those are four of the most comforting words in Scripture. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.